welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Hello and good night and welcome to our fifth now special podcast for COVID. Today we had a very, I think it was a very good um, COVID echo today. Kurt, what do you think? It was. It was a good COVID echo. And what we are going to do now is summarize the bullet points uh, from our speakers. Uh, and our first speaker was actually a PharmD, uh, Chris Hagen from Centricare. Yeah, Chris Hagen. I don't know. I think one of these days we're going to have to have a who is least photogenic between you and him or most photogenic because I don't think either of you are very photogenic. I've never worn a cat sweater. so You've worn a red coat, though. <laughs> yeah, so Chris Hagen uh, was basically brought on to talk about some of the medications that have been used in COVID-19 uh, and he actually initially started out his talk by talking a little bit about some of the medication shortages, uh, and especially with the things that we're using when we're keeping people um, intubated for quite a period of time. So I think it's important to understand that there is a shortage of uh, a lot of those medications. I think just to remind people that as far as the intubation thing, again, that an average person who gets intubated in a hospital, it's a couple days, two, three days. A COVID patient who gets intubated in a hospital, it's... Like 10 or 11. 10 or 11, yeah, almost two weeks. So it is a lot of medications needed to keep that patient comfortable. So some of the things that he was really there to discuss were some of the medications that have been used for COVID uh, and some of the some of the different uh, studies that are going on at this point. And, of course, uh, hydroxychloroquine has been that one that's been in the press a lot. And, of course, the president has talked about and... Really, there's uh, not been a lot of benefit shown by that. And he, actually, the French study that he pulled up uh, showed really no benefit. It was probably a little bit better study than uh, the Chinese side. Um, and so I think uh, although studies continue, I think uh, hydroxychloroquine or uh, also known as Plaquenil is probably not a drug that's uh, done much thus far. And then he transitioned into the whole ACE inhibitors and ARBs. Um, mostly because of how the virus itself, how the coronavirus gets into the cells and infects the cells using that ACE2 receptor. Um, and so there was initially when this disease was in its infancy, you know, 140 some days ago, some talk about would these patients have more risk of having more severe disease if they are on an ACE inhibitor um, because we all know that hypertension is one of the main risk factors for severe disease progression. But what's actually kind of been panning out is that there's been lower death rates or transfer to critical care within seven days um, with patients who are actually on their medications. So the, the bottom line, I think, is really just if patients are on an ACE or an ARB, continue them while they're undergoing their COVID treatment or inpatient stay. He moved on at that point to some of the different uh, antivirals and remdesivir, which, of course, has been kind of that front runner, in his opinion, uh, as a possible COVID-19 treatment uh, uh, was something he talked about for a bit. Uh, it was actually an Ebola treatment initially and uh, kind of failed at that. There was some promise, I think, for MERS. Uh, but as of yet, it is not FDA approved, but uh, still something that they're looking at. And I think that uh, that's uh, uh, one that's got some studies coming out in the near future that will be more helpful. And if you're 
Jen Hagen, Chris's wife, this is the medication he wants. If he um, ends up at that point, this is the medication he's willing to to kind of put his life to. But he did kind of transition into Kaletra, which is an HIV combination medication. Um, in the New England Journal of Medicine, it said that Kaletra didn't show benefit in COVID patients, um, but that the World Health Organization is going to conduct a global study on treatments, including this one. Um, so there's more to come on that. I think one of the things that I found most interesting that's been in some of the literature that's been uh, coming out over the last week, and I've been watching this, uh, is the BCG vaccination. And it's interesting that he showed a very, uh, very cool, uh, uh, I'm not sure what I'm trying to think of. The, it's the so graphic? Late. The graphic, basically, showing the different places uh, in, in the world that actually do BCG routinely. Those, uh, those countries actually had much less trouble uh, but in fact, there has been some data that shows that, especially with death as a final, um, as kind of the final thing, there's less death with people who've had BCG vaccinations. And so they're really looking at this because also that vaccine has been shown previously to provide kind of this nonspecific respiratory protection uh, from non-mycobacterial pathogens. So uh, more information to come on that, I think, is real interesting uh, but again, probably the biggest benefit is less death. Um, and I don't know if you said this, but the BCG vaccine is the tuberculosis vaccine that they had it a lot. Um, most in those Asian countries, I think, is the ones that he he highlighted, um, which we, of course, don't do here in the United States. I think Iran as well. Oh, you're right. I think some of the Middle Eastern countries. Um, so the next medication he discussed was a vegan A-V-I-G-A-N. They did do a trial in China that said that this uh, medication helped patients recover um, up to a week faster than patients who got different antiviral drugs, um, specifically Arbidol. Um, It also reduced the frequency of symptoms like coughing and fever. Um, Unfortunately, this is not really all that important in the U.S. as it's not even approved in the U.S. as a medication. And finally, he spent a little time on the... uh IL-6 inhibitors and uh, this Actamera, Actamra, I don't know if I can say that word. Actemra. And and Kevzara. Uh, But these are are drugs that were basically and primarily used for rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, interestingly, you know, everybody's heard about this cytokine storms that people have and uh, this whole inflammatory thing that causes all this lung injury. And one of the things that's, uh, that's come out of this is that there's some hope that these medications were used for rheumatoid arthritis and this inflammatory uh, changes, that these might be helpful. And there's actually uh, studies going on right now uh, that are in late-stage clinical trials, so we will see. Finally, there were a lot of questions to Chris, um, and hopefully in the next couple of echo sessions he'll be able to even come back with a little bit more, but about the different things you've seen out there with vitamin C and zinc and vitamin D. And really the bottom line is, there's really not any good studies to, to say that there's benefit to this. Um, I think some of the things that I've read is said that people who have done super high dose vitamin C has actually caused some additional kidney issues. Um, and so just, yeah, multivitamins are fine, but don't overdo it. Um, so, yeah, same thing kind of with the NSAIDs. you want to talk about those? Yeah, NSAIDs really didn't have much. You know, I think early on everybody was concerned that the use of NSAIDs uh, with COVID was going to cause some issues and uh, he noted that some of these uh, some of these patients, especially if they didn't have renal issues, probably didn't have problems with that. 
I, I know people still talk about avoiding it, but um, it needs to be used judiciously in his words. So, Good word this late at night, Kurt. Judiciously. So then I was super, super duper excited to be able to transition to Dr. Colleen Reed. Uh, Colleen is um, from Minnesota. She went to University of Minnesota Medical School, um, but now is a palliative care doctor, chief of palliative medicine at North Shore Medical Center in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, Colleen is a close family friend and an amazing human. Um, but we talked to her because we've had a lot of people asking us about the whole end-of-life discussion and palliative medicine discussion, especially in this um, the time of the virus, as my kids would say, and uh, the high death rates. Um, they kind of talked about how they talk about this, and it sounds like you know, she and her role is used to talking about people at end of life, but that especially with their residents and their younger doctors, their doctors who aren't used to having these high death rates, they've had to do special counseling even to, to the providers to be able to have these end-of-life discussions earlier and more often. Yeah, and some of the things that she uh, kind of gave us a little bit of idea of what they, uh, and really what they're doing and how they're approaching this, uh, some of the questions like, uh, when they're seeing patients who are early on in the disease, basically asking them, you know, what what do you understand about this illness? Or is it okay if we talk about what you're facing? To kind of give that patient an opportunity to kind of talk about it. And uh, often I think, especially in these patients, it's important to know if they have a, kind of a healthcare proxy or have made those plans as to how much they want done, uh, whether they want intubation or CPR and uh, and really that what is important to you, you know, when you're talking to the patient, what's important to you? What what do you and don't you want us to do? I think that was, I think the thing that to take home, especially even to our community that I hadn't really thought about is, you know, we always are supposed to have these healthcare directives conversations and you have this in your file. But, you know, while we're waiting for the surge, especially here in Minnesota and rural Minnesota, you know, we've had fewer visits in the clinic and you have some providers that don't necessarily have a lot of patients coming into clinic or having telehealth visits, this might be an opportunity to to reach out to these patients who are more high risk, these patients with hypertension, diabetes, um, other comorbid health issues to make sure that they have this in their charts and an opportunity to have these discussions before they end up in the hospital and end up sick. Because again, once they're in the hospital, she, she made the point that they decline so fast that you, it's hard to even have these conversations. And then, of course, there's no family and no visitors that it, it's much more challenging once you wait. Yeah. She talked a little bit about some of the resources uh, and there's some uh, things on something called Vitals Talk, some different videos and some demos on how to have these conversations and a, uh, specifically something called Honoring Choices. And these are things that you could Google and find information on. Uh, there was one called Cake, and uh, she just basically said if you you know, do some end of life stuff and you put cake in there on Google, it'll take you to the right place or, or it will take you to a place where there's a lot of cakes. Uh, it's hard to know where. <laughs> Not to a cupcake place. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because I think she mentioned that cake had a place where even if you were, it has all these questions of end of life, but they also talked about funeral planning, just. Yeah. Songs, all the things you might want. Right. Kind of a depressing. I'm 58. Course. I'm hoping that it doesn't come to that. Well, so. 
Or, Kurt, we'll Google cake for you later. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to Google cake. <laughs> you if and your hosp- touch of asthma. Yeah, my little asthma. If uh, And, of course, if hospice is that option, you know, some of these patients, we talked to her about, you know, are there patients that are coming to the hospital that would prefer to go to hospice as as opposed to being on, uh, you know, on life support and, and intubated? Uh, and those are conversations that they're having very early on. So I, I think these are very, very tough topics, but... Uh, there are certainly those patients who really, uh, if they get on uh, on life support and they're intubated at age 90 or 95, obviously their their risk of death is high. Well, and then again, if they're going to be in the hospital that way, they're not going to they're going to be alone in essence. So she said that they've had patients that have elected to just go home on comfort cares and that trying to talk to the family about how to you know limit some contact as far as being careful with the bathrooms and utensils and separation. But in essence, they've all been exposed at that point. Um, and patients have chosen that so they can be surrounded by their loved ones if if it if they progress that far. Yeah, I think it's been difficult as well because uh, Minnesota is a smattering of rural cases at this point. And uh, I don't think any of us have really had to face this whole thing where we have patients in the hospital whose families can't visit uh, when they're critically ill and some of our friends and some of those uh, providers that we've had on this uh, ECHO uh, program uh, have talked about how difficult that is. And to, to end, we kind of asked her what they're doing as far as getting patients out of the hospital. And it sounds like out in um, the East Coast, they are doing testing to see if patients test negative prior to discharging them, because especially the elderly who might reside in long-term care, nursing homes, they can't discharge them from the hospital. They're still officially testing positive. And so they are doing some retests out there. But then, I mean, let's talk about scale. They actually turned the Boston Convention Center into a thousand bed alternative site for COVID positive patients. So patients that don't need hospitalization, but yet are still testing positive so they can't go back to a nursing home. I mean, think of the convention center. So then we moved on to Joe Helly. Uh, he's not a doctor. He works at Centricare. He's one of the VPs. And uh, sometime when this whole COVID thing is over, I'll tell the story about how he got the hook caught in his hand in the boundary waters. Um, but uh, he he uh, came on to talk before Dr. Hick a little bit about some of the, t- the testing concerns and some of the issues we've had with that. Um, you know, they've been doing a lot of things to try and get the swabs and different things that we are needing badly uh, but even doing them uh, different ways with 3D printers and such are expensive. And he talked a little bit about how expensive that is. And, you know, as far as moving forward, um, away from just the PCR to diagnose an acute infection, but um, state the, the state is about a week away from doing some more serology and antibody testing. But then there's the whole other can of worms of who do you antibody test first? Um, to see if they have some immunity built up. And I think that's really going to be helpful because I know here in our community where we've had over 60, I think, uh, tests that have been negative, uh, which is, uh, I think, confounding at best, uh, we'll be able to test those people potentially and tell what, what, you know, what is the level of disease in our community as compared to all these negatives. And I think other communities are looking at that same thing. Yeah, I think it just... Well, and, and, you know, and if you look forward with that, with like the governor walls and just like nationally is what people are going to be doing as far as like opening up communities again, being able to get back to work, being able to like congregate again, um, having the antibody testing. So you really know 
who can congregate in essence, um, just be a good way to help with that. Yeah. So, so then Dr. Hick came on and, uh, Dr. Hick had just a few things to say. Uh, he talked a little bit about, uh, um, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a little bit of improvement in that whole PPE and ventilator issue that we've had. And uh, there's certainly light at the end of the tunnel that we may have all those things we need if the surge hits and when the surge hits. Uh, so I think that's really important. But I did think it was interesting that, you know, as everybody's starting to worry about the economy, as we all are, of course, is, you know, the second surge or people start to go back to work and people start to get near each other again. There might be second surges or further surges um, with the main surge expected in June, but it could definitely be a long summer. So it's uh, actually about five days until we uh, we have this uh, next echo where Dr. Hick will talk. And it's only been a couple of days prior that he spoke and said things are changing uh, very quickly. And although a lot didn't change in the last couple of days, I, su- I suspect that within five days uh, we're going to have some things that are a little bit different than they are now. So uh, we look forward to that next uh, echo on Tuesday. Yeah, and Tuesday we're going to have. I'm especially, especially, especially looking forward to. We have a doctor. Um, Facebook gives you all sorts of connections. So a doctor that I have virtually met through Facebook, who is a maternal fetal medicine doctor in University of California, Los Angeles, so UCLA, um, talking about some of the OB things, peripartum, pregnancy, postpartum how to handle what to do as far as COVID with pregnancy. This is a huge topic right now. Yeah. And then uh, on the Thursday, we will be having an ER doctor from Hennepin. And uh, that I don't know what that noise was, but it had to be you. Um, so, yeah, on Thursday, we'll be having an ER doctor from Hennepin who uh, uh, will be discussing uh, his experiences in the emergency room and the management of those patients there. Well, and not only that, but he is just... You're really- off. Well, it looks like Dr. Bell is completely dead. Thank God. Is it back? It is. is So ironically, this doctor that's going to be talking next Thursday actually personally has just recovered from COVID as well. So we get the frontline ER doc also recovered um, experience. So this will be super exciting. Um, So yeah, we will touch back with you in five days. Um, So yeah, everybody just kind of continue to work on social distancing, at least for now. And uh, we'll soon. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for showing up for this fun podcast. Have a good day.